0: So, how do you know when it's summertime? (laughs) That's why he's wearing such an ugly shirt, some of you are thinking. So, what are some of the signs of summer? This is actually going to be an interactive Sunday. So, I'm going to ask a question and you guys shout out some of your answers. What are some of the signs of summer that you know it's summer? Flowers. Flowers, okay. Heat, okay, definitely, we need more of it. Barbecues, lawnmowers, say it again, sailors, I'm so deaf, trailers, trailers, camping, yes, this is a long weekend, it's obvious, it's a long weekend, lots of people are camping and away for the weekend. Paddle boarding and bikes, beautiful. And, of course, shorts and loud shirts for dads. And we change our schedule, don't we? We adjust our schedule. We make summer, summer's more relaxed, more time off, more backyard barbecues, vacations, um, and we just want to celebrate as much as we can. There's something that we just love about summer and if there's a reason to get together and have a barbecue or have some food, we do it. Today's passage that Steve read from is Jesus saying, listen, you can look at the trees and tell that summer is coming, but there's also signs about the times of the, of the ages And so we thought it was rather interesting that as we got to Luke 21, for those of you that are new, we've been walking through the gospel of Luke. Gospel is just a way of saying a good news story of Jesus from a guy named Luke. And we've been following that through, and we're in chapter 21, and the passage that we landed on today as we've gone through chapter by chapter was about Jesus talking about some of what we would refer to as the eschaton or the end time, but not just the end time for us but for his people and very applicable to the day. But I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, we are looking at this passage and we've invited the kids to stay in the service. So thought, hey, if you can't talk to kids about the eschaton, then who can you talk to about it? So today we're going to learn together, boys and girls, about what to look for in the signs of the times. Okay? All right. So, Steve read the passage here from the message, which I really uh, appreciate Eugene Peterson and the way that he um, wordsmiths and crafts uh, the scriptures as he translates them. And we're going to reference that, but From verse 5 to verse 26, there's all these verses that come beforehand. And I just wanted to give you a bit of a synopsis of what Jesus is saying to the people who are around him. He's speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to his disciples particularly. And his disciples have noticed the temple, and we'll come back to that in a minute. And they're really impressed with the temple. But Jesus says, hey, it's all going to fall down in verses 5 to 7. And then he goes on and he talks about wars, natural disasters, man-made disasters, strange phenomena in verses 8 to 11. Then he talks about, interestingly, a time of persecution for the followers of Jesus in verses 12 to 19. Then he references the destruction of the whole city of Jerusalem in verses 20 to 25, and strange signs and terrified people and everything being in upheaval in verses 25 to 26. And it's like, boys and girls, what did you learn at church today? And this is the passage that we're in. But interestingly, while it sounds like a lot of judgment, it is immersed in grace. And in this passage, Jesus is putting on what I would call a prophetic voice. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the incarnate God, the God of Israel embodied in the person of Jesus, But he's also a prophet, and he is speaking like the other prophets have done throughout Israel's history and saying to them, you continue to refuse to receive me and to fully embrace me and to live out the ways of God. And because you refuse to do that, these are the things that are going to happen. And if you remember, as we've gone through the background of this um, whole um, book of Luke, From chapter 10 to chapter 19, Luke has us following Jesus on his way from Galilee in the north, coming down to Jerusalem. In the last couple of chapters, we've been looking at the the final confrontation between Jesus and the powers of his day, the people in charge who are refusing to accept him and his way and what he is calling them to. And now his prophetic voice is on and he's saying, This is what's going to happen. And yet, all of it is couched in this incredible grace that is there of this voice saying, If only you would open your eyes, you could prevent all this from happening. And in the beginning of this passage, Jesus is is walking with his disciples. And if you remember the, the passages immediately preceding this in chapter 20, Jesus is at the temple. And he's having these conversations with religious leaders at the temple. So the whole scene is about the temple. And then they're walking out. And his disciples say to him, man, oh, man, look at the size of the stones in this temple. This is so impressive. And they can't get over the size of the temple complex. They've never seen anything like it. It's like when you grow up in Duntroon, just down the road, or in Nottawa, And you go to New York City, and you're just like, that's what's happening here. They are so overwhelmed and impressed. I don't think it's the first time they've been there, because Jews would travel to Jerusalem a couple times a year for major festivals. But they can't help being impressed by the size of the complex, And if you were here um, the other week, we talked about, you know, the size of this complex was about 35 acres. It was massive. And they're looking at the stones of the temple and how big they are. And actually, I had the privilege this last January of going to Jerusalem, and I was able to stand at the bottom of the temple complex and look up at some of the foundation walls, and I was so amazed at the size of the stones. I actually took a video, and I want to give you a chance to see the size of the stones at the foundation of the temple complex. Look at how big these stones are, starting there, going all the way around, and then it goes to there that wide. So that's about five or six feet, and that is about 30 feet and about four feet high. So one stone, 30 feet long, five feet wide, four feet high, that they put into place. How can you not be impressed by that? You know, 2,000 years later, we've got all these skyscrapers. I'm looking at this, and I'm stunned at the size of these stones that were put into place before we had cranes and everything. It's impressive. But Jesus makes a response to this, and he says, none of this is going to remain It's all coming down. But the temple where they were at was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. It was the epicenter of the nation. It was the epicenter of everything it meant to be an Israelite or a a Jew. And so, to help us kind of understand this, I want to have some volunteers. So I need six volunteers, maybe some adults, and some kids that can be up here and, and not be wandering around too much. So, literally, I I need six of you to come up here. You're going to be up here, and you're going to help with the sermon today. Okay? I'm not going to make you do anything or say anything. I just need you to stand up here. So, I need six volunteers. Okay, back there. Yep, little guy, blonde hair, Gord. Okay, yep, dad and son, you two can come up. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. I need one more volunteer, Andrew. Okay. So, I need you guys all standing over here. So, this represents the temple. Can we give a hand for the temple? So, the temple was the epicenter of everything it meant for Israel to be a nation. So, that meant it represented a lot of different systems. It represented uh, political systems. I'm going to give you the political system, Gord. Emma, I'm going to give you the educational system. And what's your name? Ace? Ace? I love your name, Ace. Okay, you're going to be the social system, and what's your name? Liam, you're going to be healthcare. Economic is Paul. And Andrew, you're going to be the religious guy. Okay, you're, So these are all the different systems that the temple represented because you could get educated there. Definitely politics happened there. It was the social system of the people. The priests were responsible to declare people clean when they had illnesses and disease. Certainly it was the economic center and the religious center. And so in many respects, this is what the temple represented. However, even as impressive as it is, Jesus is saying, don't get too caught up in this because it's not going to last And it's hard for them to believe that. The other thing I want to pay attention to in these systems that the temple represented, first of all, could we recognize that these are probably the major systems in our own social structure of society today? Yes? This is the major systems that kind of keep everything going, that we're familiar with. The difficulty with these systems that Jesus is pulling out in this text as you read the whole thing is not only will they not last, It's that they are imperfect, and they are flawed. They are broken. Because in every one of these systems, some people get elevated at the expense of others. So just for the sake of things, Liam, if you would come with me, because you're healthcare, and we know that you're tired, so we want to give you this nice seat. (sighs) Okay, you can have a seat. The rest of them can stand there, because we're going to pamper you And see, some systems elevate people at the expense of others because socially, Ace, I want you to come over here and I want you to just sit down there on the edge, okay? And these ones here, let's just get you guys over here a little bit. Maybe you can kneel down here, okay? Education um, and religion, uh, let's just make you go down there. (laughs) You see, these systems elevate some people at the expense of others. And I don't mean the healthcare system ele- or, you know, is elevated at the expense of the religious system. I just mean if these are people within all the systems, these systems are flawed and broken. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. We just have to recognize they're not meant what they were, they can't do what they are supposed to do. These are, these are systems that we've created. And the biggest difficulty with them In the time of Jesus, is that people thought the temple in Jerusalem was where all the answers were. The hope of humanity at that day rested in the temple. And so they were looking to the temple and all of its systems to save Israel. And Jesus just kept saying to them, you can't, it's not going to work. It's not going to last. You think it's so impressive. One day it's all going to be gone, And these systems, which do a lot of good, often are held up as the answer for what we need for humanity. And so we just assume that if we would put more money and time and people into healthcare, it's going to fix our culture and our society. Or if we would put more money into education and make sure everybody knows everything they're supposed to know, then somehow the world's going to be a much better place. And yes, they will help, but these systems become replacements to God. And we end up putting our hope in systems that we've created that somehow even the religious system, let's bring you back over here, Andrew, I feel bad for you. You sit down here beside Ace. We think that these systems are going to save us. And it's not that they're evil or they're, they're inherently bad in, in the sense that like we just need to get rid of them. But they often end up becoming a replacement to God. And Jesus is saying, everything you've put all of your hopes and dreams in in this temple is temporary, and it's flawed and it's broken. And until you understand that, you still have things, you, you, you just, you're going to end up feeling miserable. And so he says in verse 21, verse 6, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one of them will be left on top of another. But then in verse 33, near the end of this passage, Jesus says, however, heaven and earth are going to disappear, including the temple and everything it represents, but my words... My words will last forever. They will never disappear. My words, my presence, my reign, my rule, my politics, my kingdom will never disappear. But the temple and everything it represents in just a little while is gonna be a heap of rubble. And that, I think, is such a wonderful lesson for us to understand. Where do we put our hope ultimately? And Jesus is reminding the people of his day this is where you need to put your hope. Well done, you guys. I think that proves the point for today. You guys can keep those as souvenirs. You know, if you want, I can sign them for you afterwards. So, Ace, you can go back and sit down. You can keep that. You can keep it. Absolutely. See, we're going to just explore a little bit here that, you know, ultimately the politics of Jesus are going to clash with the, the systems of our day. Because they can't do what we want them to and hope that they will do. And until we learn that, we're just going to keep being distracted. But in this passage, um, as, as you read through this, it feels like what we would just call end time stuff. And we look at these passages, we think, oh, that's about the apocalypse. Even the word apocalypse, when you hear the word apocalypse, what do you think of? Disaster? Destruction? If you're a certain age like younger, you hear the word apocalypse, you think what? Did I hear it, it starts with Z? Zombies. Apocalypse means zombies. And and we and, and yet literally the word means to reveal. It's a revelation of what is going to be. But when we read passages like this, I think sometimes they fill us with fear. People hear this, they read this, and we need to understand this is not really about Jesus predicting the end of time. This is about Jesus speaking to the people who are with him and saying, these things are all going to happen right here, right now, or just in a very short while. But we read this and we read other passages and we think that, It's all going to end. And it makes us really afraid. And I think, hmm. I don't think that was the intention. I think the intention was to, to the the intention was to get our attention. And it's meant to fill us with hope and to encourage us. But I think one of the reasons why these passages fill us with fear is maybe because we've become so comfortable with the systems that are in place now. And we kind of like the way these systems work. And we don't like the idea of somebody coming and disrupting it all and turning it all upside down. As long as it doesn't cause us too much pain, we're quite fine with the way things are, thank you. And we want to hold on to what we've become so comfortable with. And we even have a hard time trying to wrap our heads around how in the world is it supposed to be better with Jesus for him to come and set things right? And I, and I want to give you an example. There was a prophet about 800 years before Jesus. His name was Isaiah. And he, and he talked about how um, the Messiah would come and he would set things right. And he actually painted a picture of what it could be like. Not like literally, But he uses poetic language to say, this is how it was supposed to be. And this is how it will be when our king returns. And so in Isaiah 11, this is what he writes. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And he says, the spirit of the Lord will be on him and he will delight in obeying the Lord. And he will not judge by appearance Nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And then he says he will wear righteousness and justice like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And in that day, here's, here's the visualization of the way it's meant to be. In that day, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. A little child will lead all of them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yeah, a little kid will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I think sometimes we've gotten so comfortable and so accustomed to the systems in which we live that we can't even fathom that. We think that that's actually just metaphor. And I think what the prophet is doing is saying, this is what it's supposed to look like. And when the, when the king comes, he's going to set everything right. He's going to put it the way it was meant to be. And I think what Jesus is trying to do in this, in this teaching to his followers is to say, let this encourage you. It's going to be okay. When you see the signs of the times, just like you can tell it's summer, there are things happening, and you know, ah, but don't get caught up in the signs. Get caught up in what they're pointing to, to the one who is coming to set everything right. And until then, until then, that's what the rest of this passage is all about. Until then, here's what I encourage you to do. And I think he repeats himself twice in this whole chapter. Some of the warnings from Jesus or some of the encouragements from Jesus is simply this, don't get distracted. So, if you look at verse 8 and 9, he says, don't let anyone mislead you. People are going to come and say, oh, I'm the Messiah. Uh, Be afraid. It's all going to fall apart. He says, don't panic. Don't get distracted by these things. Don't get distracted by all the worries of life. Hold true. So, in verse 14, he simply says, don't worry in advance about how to answer people when they bring charges against you. But the emphasis is, don't worry. Don't get distracted. Don't worry. Hold true. Stay focused. In verse 19, he says, by standing firm, you will win your souls. Stay focused. And then there's an encouragement to anticipate. Expect with hope. Anticipate this. Look at verse 28 and verse 31. When you see all these things, Jesus is reminding them, stand up and look up because your salvation is near. And then, just a few words later, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. That's hope. Don't get distracted. Hold true, stay focused, anticipate. And then you come to the back half that Steve read for us, and he does the very same thing again. Don't get distracted. He says, Don't let your hearts get dulled by all this kind of living. Watch out. Hold true. And he says in verse 36 keep alert and pray that you'd be strong enough. Hold fast, hold true, stay focused. Stay focused. The very last verse, every day they went to the temple to hear what Jesus had to say. Stay focused on him. This temple and all the systems it represents, in some ways we need them. Without them, it's anarchy. But when these systems become a replacement for For God and what he wants to do in our world, then things have gone askew. These are not going to last. Political systems will not save humanity. Educational systems will not save humanity. Healthcare systems will not save humanity. Are they helpful? Of course they are. But when our hope gets put in them, Jesus is saying, that's what's going to lead to all kinds of problems. All of this is about in the meantime. In the meantime, until the king comes back to set things right once and for all, in the meantime, what can you do? What can you do? You can pray, you can participate, you can push on. You can pray for the strength that you and your brothers and sisters need to Carry on with the mission God has given us, to stay focused on Jesus. Pray for the strength to remain true. You can participate with Jesus in establishing his kingdom here on earth. That's why he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way that we would say it today is, God, establish your kingdom so that things happen here on earth just like they do in heaven. And we can participate with him in making that happen through the way that we love God and how we love other people. We can push on and not get distracted by the worries of this life. Not letting the news predict our future, but knowing that our future rests in Jesus, whose word will never disappear, whose kingdom will never end who will return and set things right. If you remember, the background, the underlying theme in all of this for the last 12 chapters has been death and resurrection, the death of Jesus and his resurrection, that Jesus loves to camp out where there's death because Jesus gives new life. And we need to hold on to being resurrection people and knowing that that is also an indication that all things will be set right and to realize that the politics of Jesus will always clash with the systems of this world. And the more we stay centered on Jesus and the more we gather around Jesus, the more our future is going to make sense. And that if passages like this fill us with fear, it just is an indication that we've got uh, more growth And that there's more in us that we need to give over to Jesus. That there's still opportunity for us to to embrace him fully and let him have all of us. And I encourage you in that today. To give yourself fully to him. Because I want to remind you of this. Jesus does not want, see, these systems, we all think that if we just do a little bit more in these systems, they'll make our lives better. And I think what Jesus is encouraging us in this passage is that Jesus does not want to make your life better. Jesus wants to be your Lord. But only you can make him that because he will never force himself and force his lordship over you. It is always an invitation for you to receive him and to come to him and to allow him to be Lord. And when you do that, then you'll continue or begin to or continue to live the life that you've always needed and are always hungry for. I think your life will get better, but I don't think the goal of Jesus is to make you have a better life. I think the goal of Jesus is for you to understand what it means for him to be your Lord. And when we continue to refuse that, that just leads into some of the things that he's talking about, either personally or societally. And so today is a passage to encourage you not to get distracted. Stay true. Stay focused. Because the king is coming, and he will set all things right. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, just the awareness that uh, the end is good news for everyone. That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus wants to redeem the whole universe, all of humanity. That in all of the stories of Jesus that sound like judgment, there's always this inclusion that we start in and then we choose to opt out. That all of this is undergirded with the grace of God. Remind us again, Jesus, you are the hope for humanity. And we just wait with eager expectation for you to return. And until that time, we want to stay true and focused, to pray, to participate with you, and to push on. And we ask you for the help to do that. Amen. Amen.